Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, we're going to attempt something today that we've never tried before. It's all inspired by an album release that has the internet in a tizzy. Greta Van Fleet has released Anthem of the Peaceful Army, and they've been accused of ripping off the entire catalog of Led Zeppelin. And listeners are torn about if this is the so-called revival of authentic rock or simply a rebranding of the role of pop music. And so we're going to do a full album comparison to find out if this is a carbon copy of the original. But first, we're joined by Pitchfork senior editor Jeremy D. Larson, whose recent review of the album has broken the internet. He scored the record 1.6 out of 10, and it is trending everywhere. In our conversation, we break down the role of the critic in the age of streaming, the cultural politics of a negative review, and the unique relationship between critics and musicians. After the conversation, we'll listen to Greta Van Fleet and see if the copycat comparison holds. But first, here's Jeremy D. Larson with a selection from his review. Greta Van Fleet sound like they did weed exactly once, called the cops, and tried to record a Led Zeppelin album before they arrested themselves. (laughs) The poor kids from Frankenmuth, Michigan, don't even realize they're more of an algorithmic fever dream than an actual rock band. While they're selling out shows all over the world, somewhere in a boardroom, half a dozen people are figuring out just how, exactly, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant are supposed to fit into the SUV with the rest of the Greta Van Fleet boys on Carpool Karaoke. (laughs) I don't know what's harsher, the whole reviewer that you left John Paul Jones out of the mix as he always gets left out. (laughs) (laughs) There was an earlier draft in there where it says, like, I'm not even sure if kids know what a John Paul Jones is. (laughs) (laughs) He was a pope, right? Yeah, I think so. One of them. (laughs) <laughs> great okay so this is a tough review you've you've really skewered them and i just have to ask first of all did you have fun writing this i had about as much fun writing this as i have writing a lot of other reviews uh i wouldn't say that this is necessarily more fun um but you know it, I, I do have fun writing okay so here's what i want to do today i want to break down the argument of your review talk a bit about the 
effect and a bit of the history of the idea of the negative review and talk a little bit about the fan response as well. So mm-hmm. starting from the top, the argument of the piece, the thesis seems to be that you state they make music that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin and demand very little other than forgetting how good Led Zeppelin often were. You say that you know the album sounds like a bonafide classic rock record with its fuzzy bass, electric guitar solos, and lyrics featuring the kind of self-actualized transcendence brought on by a few too many multivitamins. <laughs> it is not actually classic rock. So what is this then, if this is not classic rock? To call something classic rock in 2018, you're kind of being dishonest into what into the year that it's being created in. Like This wasn't a lost record that was found. These are young kids who are playing music that are very directly influenced from music that came out 40 years ago. Like, right. I think you can call it classic rock, but I also think that you have to understand that how, how it functions today uh, is much different than how classic rock functioned back then. I mean, it seems like it's pop music that's trying to recapture something that once was. And hmm. I, to me, like, I, that doesn't register as classic rock to me. What seems to irk you the most in this article is their lack of any semblance of self-awareness for what is garnering their success. There was a, a interview in Rolling Stone interviewing uh, the guitarist Jacob, who, who says, that's the thing that destroys a lot of good art now, chasing trends. Hmm. And I th- mm. think that fits in with your analysis of it, is this classic rock or not? It may be looking back to the past, but certainly there is a radio format and an entire marketplace for this music that is a trend, even if it was created 60 odd years ago. I don't believe that Greta Van Fleet are approaching this in bad faith. I don't think they sat around and are like, hey, guys, this is our opportunity to make a million bucks (laughs) by trying to sound like Led Zeppelin. I don't think that's the case at all. I think I think these guys are, are approaching this honestly. I think they're clearly having like a good time when they perform. I don't think that they're they're sort of realizing how this music is going to be seen in the eyes of of like the marketplace and how it's going to be used and manipulated by uh, a mm. by like a major label and their agents and their PR people. But it's not, you know, again, like I don't think criticism is about like punishment um, right. for bad deeds. Like to me, criticism is about taking a look at the context of where music is today, taking a look at the piece of art that was presented to you. And my job to me as a critic is trying to place it, find its location in music today. And I feel that's what I try to do with this review. You're not very generous in calling it half-baked boomer fetishism, <laughs> but you make a really right. insightful claim that for as retro as this album may seem, you say in actuality, it is the future it's proof of concept that in the streaming and algorithm economy, a band doesn't really need to capture the past. It just needs to come close enough so that a computer can assign to it its definite article. All art is derivative in a certain sense, you know, like you got to steal to make art. That's what you have to do. And I think a lot of people are really good at doing that really well because a lot of people like to listen to what they recognize. You know, it, it releases the 
the kind of dopamine and the, mm. the serotonin in the brain when you hear something you recognize you're like i like this i don't have to think about this right. you know that's the basis of pop music which is i guess sort of why i kind of consider greta van fleet to be more pop music because it is so like a thing we all recognize mm. so switching gears a bit we'd love to hear more about the art of the hot take the negative review i can imagine regardless of the integrity of your takedown that there must be you must brace yourself on some level for the response especially you know today when i don't think lester bangs had to go on twitter and you know see the <laughs> responses to his reviews have you right. heard from the band from their management team has pitchfork you know received any uh feedback on this piece since it's been published no oh, man i mean I, I they're they're gonna debut in the top five this week they're gonna wow. sell 70,000 units they they're, they're like cool people, <laughs> you know like i can't imagine they're upset they're not losing any sleep viral, over you know? this yeah i don't feel that bad uh because there's just so much music out there and there's no one telling you really anymore what to listen to except for a playlist which has which is just trying to get you to stay on the app longer hmm. you know so interesting um, yeah and that's 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 all they're trying to do so it's like if you can have the wisdom and the knowledge and hopefully like the wit and intelligence and empathy of a person talking to you about music, I think that's a lot better, you know? And this, this, this one guy sort of emailed me and was like, and he was like, why can you encourage them? You know, why can't you just say like, Hey, they're, they're going to do better. I'm just like, it's not my job, man. Like that's what they pay. A, that's what they pay a manager for. That's what they pay a PR person for. That's what, that's what their label does. Like they're everyone, everyone else around them tells them like what they're doing. Well, that's, that's, that's why bands start to suck, you know, because no one tells them what they're doing wrong. I think the, the critic-artist relationship is a very important part of the ecosystem of music, you know, and I don't, I don't hate that band. I don't have any animosity toward them. They're not, like, actively bad for the world. I, you know, I don't wish them any ill will. Like, I, 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 hope, I hope they continue to be a band. I hope they keep making music that they want to make, and, and I hope they find an audience that, that really loves that. If that audience just isn't me right now. Early on in your history, you, you all gave uh, the Flaming Lips Zyrika's album a, a 0, 0.0 rating, which the editorial yes. team later had to retract. Um, yeah. Do you think that there will be any retractions on this Greta Van Fleet review in the future? I, I, I can all but guarantee that won't happen. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I mean, who knows? Maybe like twenty years down the line, that, that that somebody will take a look at this and be really embarrassed. I mean, that's <laughs> that's good. Good, maybe. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't foresee that. But God, why not? I mean, that that would be really exciting if a really smart person comes along in twenty years. It's like you want to know what? Like this actually was like a harbinger for uh, the great you know sea change in music and all of a sudden everything became authentic and like rock returned and and you know but all of that kind of like reeks of just yeah kind of, it, 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 it also suggests that in 20 years that the album review will be, be the album review which begs the question today what is the position of the album review for pitchfork especially now that we i mean more than ever we don't have to go and read the review before we buy the album. We don't even have to buy the album. We can just listen to the album. So I'm curious about how you think about the position of the review today. Right. I think that um, a good review offers context that you otherwise couldn't get, you know, right? So, like, 
if you're looking at Apple Music or Tidal or Spotify, I mean, Tidal, I think Tidal gives you the credits, gives you the production credits. I think Apple Music offers a little capsule review. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, you know, there's no context. You're just sort of presented with something and it's kind of bald face presented as like, here's what's new and everybody's listening to it. The only thing you're presented with is the metric of how many people are listening to it. And it's like, that sucks, you know, like that is the one thing you never got before when you went to a record store. You didn't, mm-hmm. you didn't go to the, uh, the recommended CD and say like, this has been bought 50 times already. It just said like, hey, this is recommended. You didn't get to see how many people were also listening to it. I think a, a re- good review kind of tries to get things out of the headspace of what's popular and what other people are listening to. And to try to place it into the context of the art and of the of the music itself, you know. Yeah, no, it's, I appreciate you saying this because there's maybe a perspective out there that the accessibility brought on by streaming has <laughs> sort of ob- obviated the need for the traditional gatekeepers, such as critics, to explore and and and, and discover new music, but. In what I'm hearing from from this conversation, it's maybe more that actually we need those gatekeepers more than ever, but we also need to ask more of those people than we ever have before. They need to provide that sort of integrity and honesty and context and research, and they need to have diverse pluralistic voices to really capture this insane access we have to basically every song ever. The critic is as important as it's ever, more important than it's ever been. But it, it, we demand, we need to demand more of our critics too, perhaps. Right. I mean, you know, and it's like everybody's working toward a bottom line. You know, like I get paid by Condé Nast, and uh, Greta Van Fleet gets paid by Republic, and everybody who works at Spotify gets paid by Spotify. So it's like we're all, you know, whatever. Not to not to sound <laughs> like just this, <laughs> not to reduce everything to late capitalism is a prison, but like yeah. we're all beholden to to a bottom line at some point so to me like if you have the ability and if you have the platform to try to be like as honest as possible and as and as curious as possible and to remain a student of the music and what's happening around you uh and to try to to try to listen to uh the kids that are coming up right now and to try to listen to the people who've been there for a while and synthesize all of that information and present it to someone with as much clarity and humor uh, and wisdom as possible. And I think like that to me is, is the job of a critic, you know, because a lot of people aren't listening to young people. A lot of people aren't listening to old people. A lot of people aren't listening to anybody they don't, anybody they disagree with. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that what's important uh, in, you know, to try to, to just to try to offer something that isn't, that isn't beholden to selling music, you know, like it's almost kind of freeing. Right. Cause like we don't, if you're going to listen to this anyway, like I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any stakes. Like whether you're, you're going to listen to this album, no matter what I say. And, and like I said, like I'm probably, probably this review probably drew a lot of traffic to the Greta Van Fleet album. And that's great. I want, I want people to listen to music and decide for themselves what they think, you know? And if, and if like, if I helped clarify an idea that was sort of tumbling around in your head, that's great. Um, if you disagree with me, that's also great. Like mm. if this if this spurs you to think about why I'm thinking about it this way and causes you to think about it differently, and you want to write a rebuttal that that disproves every point that I made, that's 
awesome. That's fucking great. I think everybody should be doing that. I think just everybody should be just thinking more about the products they receive and where they come from and why they're trying to do the things that they do. Can we get a slow clap going here? <laughs> yeah. So, That's, that sounded like, a, that sounded like a, my... a manifesto, and I like it. <laughs> to speak to issues of listening, we want to look at uh, just briefly the fan response. And there's been all kinds of replies. You've generated a lot of dialogue. Everything from sure. uh, people are upset about the fact that, okay, this 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 review is, is trashing Greta Van Fleet, but did you know that Led Zeppelin was also dismissed in their first review in Rolling Stone? Which is a, a sort of fallacious, logical argument to suggest that, no, they are independent and not like Led Zeppelin, yet they are also like Led Zeppelin and will be great. It's not a very strong argument. Mm-hmm. There's also been a lot of racial amnesia about Led Zeppelin's own direct lifting and borrowing of like, earlier blues artists like Willie Dixon and Helen Wolf and Lead Belly and Muddy Waters. And I think one of the pieces of criticism that has sort of been most irking has been the deeply biased and uh, not well-veiled racism of people claiming, well, Pitchfork is super generous to artists like Cardi B, Kanye West, and Lil Anything. Literal, literal quote from Twitter. Uh, how is it that they're not paying attention to artists like Greta Van Fleet? That one was particularly irksome. But I wanted to go to maybe some of the direct uh, response straight to you. And uh, I think there's nothing more fun than the reply to the critic. We had a lot of fan reviews that were uh, extremely positive. People said, you know, Pitchfork is alive and I've never been more happy. Um, uh, That's from Daddy F on Twitter. We heard from uh, Eric Alexandrakis. That was a truly amazing read. We also heard, I've been needing this review. So people loving it. And then... There was one that really stood out, and I wanted to get your reply. This is a review of your review. Maybe you've seen it. It's from Brian Mulligan. It says, The 2018 review from Brooklyn-based Jeremy Larson is mired in nostalgic cynicism and pretension, poorly masked as rock historian intellectualism, and even-handed critique. The reviewer extols authentic 60s rock, but would likely lambast it if he were present during its era. 0.4. Do you have a reply? Um, I mean, I, I welcome all criticism. I think it's, I think if I can't, you know, if I can't dish it out yeah. <laughs> uh, or if I can't take it, you know, I can't dish it out or whatever, right whatever the, the thing is, I think it's, that's fine. I get it. I mean, I don't know. I disagree. But like, what are you going to, it's, I, I think people will always sort of look for the error and will look for what we'll try to sort of nitpick that, you know, like, well, Clearly, he he would have like this would have he wouldn't have done this had this been around. Also, like I feel like the whole Brooklyn thing. I'm like I don't know, man. Like I've only lived here for five years. I grew up in a tiny farm town in Wisconsin. Like I I played in a funk rock band called Resurrected Grooves. We covered Incubus a lot. Like I've been subsumed in rock and roll. I, I it I it is my lifeblood. And and I and I absolutely love that kind of stuff. But my brain is focused on what's happening and what can be new and what 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 has worth as new music. You know, like that's kind of Pitchfork's whole thing. There seems to be a, a real missing link, and I think a lot of the criticism of recognizing, well, what is the role of this thing? Where is it fitting in? And I I think you are um, I think you are quite generous to recognize that hey, this is not ill will against a band. This is for the Pitchfork readers. And uh, it's clear, at least from our conversation, that, hey, it'd be great if these folks evolve. And it's also wonderful people are out listening to it and asking questions about it. 
That's that's what I'm taking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen to whatever you want. I'm not I'm not gonna judge you for your taste. Like I I love bad music. I have historically <laughs> I I love I love I mean this guy was like this guy was like this is the website that that gave tools enema 2.0 like f and hipsters. I'm like man, enema rules. Like I love that. I love that album. I like like I have this really weird soft spot for tool. Like I have historically shitty taste in music you know like I, I love dumb stuff i love dumb rock and roll like this grand funk railroad live album where it's just like mark farmer doing dumb solos for way too long and he sucks and but i like i enjoy <laughs> it it's stupid like i like you can love stupid stuff and i just think that like stupid music is wonderful but it but you know there was something to me where it's like eh, this isn't the right kind of stupid you know like <laughs> you can kind of tell that there's something else going on here and, and i'm like eh, this isn't the kind of idiocy i really enjoy well we'll leave you with the last word the last line of your article reads enjoy the self-satisfied buzz of recognizing something you already know it's the cheapest high in music uh and it sounds like you know what if that's what's a uh, turning you on in music that's all good. It's not bad to get a cheap buzz. So hey, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been great. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Nate, now we get to do something that we've never done before. <laughs> Take, let's do it. I don't know what it is, but I'm excited. We are going to go track by track of the entire Greta Van Fleet Anthem of a Peaceful Army album. Wow. And we're going to look at the original, the actual song, and what I think is potentially the influence or nay the copy uh, uh, from the Led Zeppelin. And I want to put to test the criticism within Jeremy's article on Pitchfork. Your job is to tell me whether or not I'm on point with the reference or if I'm completely off base. 
I'm very curious to begin this experiment. We've never gone through an entire album, but we're going to do it. We're going to make it snappy. We're going right. to go song by song, but we are going to sort of establish ourselves with the opening track, The Age of Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, Lord. I mean, it's a powerful statement. This thing is a melange of Led Zeppelin references that I'm hearing. Cool. The thing is, nothing here is an exact copy. This is like the tribute of the tribute band. So I invite some creative listening, if you will. All right. Let's listen to the introduction of the age of man. Simple. Nice. Little, not, uh, not what I expected in, no. in terms of like, so for the, I should say I'm not familiar with this album. I've heard maybe one song of theirs on the radio and yep. definitely did a double take where I was like, what is this? Like, yeah. So I was expecting, you know, some heavy electric guitar We're going to get there, but Led Zeppelin is also <laughs> known for its like introspective Tolkien-esque totally. fantasy realms. And I think this is what we're getting. Totally. I'm hearing that Mellotron oh, yeah. taken right from Led Zeppelin's Rain song. Oh. got a point <laughs> you make a good point the mellotron being an instrument that you can hear on everything from strawberry fields yeah. to contemporary pop tracks it was but, the first sampler they basically yeah. put samples of orchestras onto tape machines that ran through this giant device and it sounds like a, a lo-fi orchestral sound yeah you press a key it triggers the tape loop and you get the sample so yeah you wanted hard rock riffs please age of man is going to give us hard rock riffs Yeah, that's more of what I was imagining. Yeah, and I'm hearing in the light. (sighs) Wow, yeah. This is a very delicate operation here. (laughs) I see what you mean, because... We're never going to find, or I assume we're not going to ever find like an exact copy. That would be too blatant. But yes, so here like that rhythmic syncopation that we hear in In the Light. Yeah, I absolutely hear Age of Man kind of taking that. Yeah. But wait, there's more. (laughs) We're going to, every other song we're going to plow through. But this one is just the opening. It it really deserves going into it. This sort of hook of the riff in the age of man i actually think is coming from another led zeppelin track so let's just listen to the hook one more time in the age of man listen to the end line right here yeah that got it no (laughs) no (laughs) your face is like no it's just a pentatonic riff. Nothing there. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> Charlie really wanted me to have a different reaction. But no, I appreciate I I mean, I first of all, I appreciate the the digging through the Led Zeppelin catalog that <laughs> I did this for six that, hours that went into this. I mean, it's very impressive. You're right. I have to say I'm not totally convinced that this okay, is a, okay. a match. Yeah. How about um the outro of the Age of Man?
Actually, I love that outro. Very cool. But Super it really beachy, reminded me Hammond of B3, yeah. so to Hammond. Now again, nothing's a carbon copy. Right. We're gonna go to a little church organ on your time is gonna come. Okay. Yeah, it's there. Okay. Finally, Age of Man lyrics. There is this line. To wonderlands of ice and snow in the desert heat where nothing grows, a tree of life in rain and sun, to reach the sky, it's just begun. Lots of bloviations about fantasy nothing. Um, (laughs) This, for me, is a combination of four different Led Zeppelin tracks. (laughs) You have the immigrant song, We Come from the Land of Ice and Snow. Oh, yeah. Right? You have... uh, (laughs) You then can go uh, uh, in... Age of Man, you get in the desert heat where nothing grows. You can take us to Kashmir, uh, heed the path that led me to that place, the yellow desert stream. Yeah. We get back in Age of Man, a tree of life and rain and sun, which takes me back to Rain Song. It is the springtime of my loving, the second season I am to know. You're the sunlight in my growing. And finally, in the, the last line of Age of Man, to reach the sky, it's just begun. We could go to what is and what should never be. Catch the wind, see us spin, sail away, leave today, way up high in the sky. Hey, whoa, but the wind won't blow. Wow. So it's like refrigerator magnet poetry yeah. with Led Zeppelin right, lyrics. Right, right. Yeah, so, I'm, I, yeah, that seems incontrovertible. <laughs> so I'm hearing a mixture of, yeah, some of these things are on, some things are not, but it's refrigerator magnet, Led Zeppelin music and lyrics. A little bit, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... It's so there. I think the question with some of them is how Led Zeppelin specific are they? You know, organ, for instance, like that's that that could go. I could go either way on that. Riff rock. Yeah, we could probably find a lot of other '70s prog rock that would use that texture. So, is there enough to say like, ooh, they're really drawing it from this particular example? I'll I'll be curious. I promise you, by the end of this, I'm going to give (laughs) you an example that is going to absolutely destroy you. (laughs) I can't wait. Okay. Song one, we're gonna we're gonna start breezing through things. Okay, cool. It's gonna get cold. That was a, no, that's a great it's intro. Gonna cool yeah. off. We're going to a song called "The Cold Wind." Here is the riff. <laughs> it's fun. I'm feeling it. I like it. Have you heard Led Zeppelin's Custard Pie? I have now. (laughs) We've got the same key, the same sort of shuffle feel. A lot of riff similarities. They're singing in the exact same vocal register. What do you think? I hear it. There are some small differences which i think are cool sort of like you know coming in on the offbeat on the greta van fleet original Mm -hmm. i think it's cool but it does feel like yeah taking maybe custard pie and just and adjusting some of the (laughs) elements slightly it's nevertheless very effective this is fascinating charlie okay okay so let's go go to one of the singles on the album okay when the curtain falls yeah 
your face. What you, what's going on? What are you thinking? I mean, it's just there's so many elements that scream Zeppelin from the John Bonham style, like super swung, fat, double bass drums and tom work to, as you said, the singer's vocal timbre. And even something I find so distinctive about Robert Plant's vocals beyond the sound of his voice sure. is like this melodic trick he does where he, at the very end of a phrase... He'll get. He'll go to the tonic note, the home note of the key, hmm. and he'll go down one step. Da da. You know, oh. he does have the like. Think of like you know, good times, bad times. You know, I've had my share. He oh. always like like hit the tonic and then like go down to the flat seven, which gives it this kind of like pungency, you know, and, oh. and tension. And I hear the Greta Van Fleet singer doing that a lot. So you yeah, haven't even heard the. You've heard all <laughs> the things that are already in your head. I actually struggle to find a great connection for this one. I uh-huh. think it sounds a bit like the Wanton song. severely permutated though i wasn't so sure if that one held up yeah but then i found this mashup by this guy dj cummerbund and so here just for a second the chorus of when the curtain falls Here's what happens if you mix that with the Led Zeppelin one song. What do you think? I think, well... I mean, I'm of two minds. On one hand, my reaction is like, when you said we're going to listen to When the Curtain Falls, I was like, wait, which one? Is that is that Led Zeppelin or is that Greta Van Fleet? Which says to me, like, yeah. wow, these are hard to tell apart right. in a lot of ways. Right, right. I, I couldn't remember. It doesn't feel like you've entered a wormhole into another dimension where Led Zeppelin just made other songs and were like reborn, yeah. but not Led Zeppelin. Yeah, but I, when I hear this mashup, I also think, oh, I don't know. I think he probably had to tweak the BPMs and the keys yep. to make it fit. And the harmony, the harmonic yep. structure doesn't really overlay perfectly. Okay. And there are things that Greta Van Fleet are doing that are surprising. You know, if we listen to the chorus of that, at the very end, they hit this chord that I really liked that was like reminding me of like the beginning of Hard Day's Night or something. Oh, yeah. And it was very surprising. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. I don't know. They have these little dollops of like sounds that are not of the Led Zeppelin world, perhaps. Mm, sure. But this is, I'm so captivated by this whole thing. I can't, I don't want it to end. All right. Track four. Great. Watching over. This is a sort of slow burn blues track, and it's definitely not spot on, but it reminded me a lot of the track Since I've Been Loving You. Oh, yeah. Different time signature, different BPM. Like, did you hear what Robert Plant said just before the solo starts? No. He goes, watch out. And this song is called Watching Over. <laughs> <laughs> this is some Illuminati stuff. 
I mean, oh, I, I can't lie. I love it. I don't know. It's I don't know. I don't You're know. gonna okay. So <laughs> I mean, what do you think? I mean, if I'm putting on musicologist Nate Sloan hat, like I'm also thinking, well, yeah, they're they're blues tracks, like, mm. and they're one I think is in twelve eight, the others in four four. The BPM really different. Even have different sense of darkness of minor tonality totally at points it's hard to say are well are both these bands simply drawing from a much deeper well of right. of blues of right. of certain electric guitar right. riffs etc right or is greta van fleet in, at points really picking very specific sounds of led zeppelin right. so yeah right. and then in some cases we're in a gray area there I think. okay okay i've got one that is not gray <laughs> whatsoever but okay. crystal clear for me this is the fifth track on the record lover lever hmm I do like that title. Yeah. Can you I guess? <laughs> you haven't even heard the uh, the comparison. Well, is this gonna I think I know. What do you think? Whole lot of love. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Mm. What do you hear? Not not a lot of gray area there. No. Uh, the the rhythm of the guitars, the vocal melody, and the rhythm of the vocal melody these match up really really closely. It was yeah. the first thing I thought of basically. It's a bit of an homage. Yeah. And to Jeremy's point, I think there's a question of the self-awareness of the copy. I don't actually have any problem with sounding alike to something else, but it's important that we certainly give credit where it's due. Mm. And speaking of which, I think it's appropriate to put a small break in the album and look at the piece that we would be remiss to leave behind, which is that Led Zeppelin themselves were not innocent of uh, total artistic originality, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and they were known to pretty brazenly borrow in everything from vocal timbre to riffs and songs. And there were quite a few necessary redactions to credits on, on songs later on in history. So I think it's important to recognize that there is a longer history of borrowing. And in, in, in Led Zeppelin's case, it's complicated. Now, many people might know that there was a recent uh, copyright case by this band spirit for their song taurus and they right. said that it sounded a lot like stairway to heaven but i won't even entertain this because i think that both of these things are sort of derivative of the same sort of descending riff that neither can sort of claim to what i'm more interested in are the blues songs that led zeppelin borrowed from so let's just get a taste of muddy waters you need love the inspiration for whole lot of love baby way down inside woman you need love woman you need love it's been pointed out that they actually might have even heard another version of that same song which they in many ways actually even more deeply borrowed from this is by small faces woman you need love yeah. Interesting. Very Robert Plant. Small faces. Yeah. That's new to me. Okay. And you know, there, there are lists and lists of songs, but yeah. I, I just want So if you take the, yeah. if you kind of take the music and rhythm of Muddy Waters and the sort of vocal quality of Small Faces, put them together, 
yeah you, get, you have a whole lot of love interesting yeah. yeah and there are so many tracks that we could reference uh but just one more we'll get uh, willie dixon i can't quit you baby Whoa! But I got to put you down a little while. These these are undeniable. I mean these these were actually covers and, and sometimes not fully credited covers. I said I can't quit you, babe. So back to our original project, back to the Greta Van Fleet acknowledging that there is borrowing and borrowing and borrowing throughout the history of pop music but we have a project that we must we must finish let's find the copies or potential copies so i want to move on to track six you're the one this is a acoustic slowdown kind of track and led zeppelin were known for always having to, to balance the hard rock they would have these acoustic slow songs so here we go This one is uncanny to me. This is uh, straight lifted from, well, let's just listen to it. <laughs> okay. Wait, sorry, just to clarify, <laughs> is this, no, I'm genuinely asking, is, yeah. this, is this a different song or do we accidentally play the same one? No, that's Led Zeppelin's Your Time Is Gonna Come. This is, Are you sure? Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 wait. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the Greta Van Fleet. Huh. There's differences. Yeah. We have a Rhodes keyboard in here. More stereo spread in the guitars. Okay, now the Led Zeppelin. Here's the Led Zeppelin. We have a church organ. And a slight harmonic difference too, right? The Greta Van Fleet is like 154 and the Zeppelin is like 174 maybe. Anyway, yeah. um... Is this the one that was going to destroy me? No. And they don't have song. There's no songwriting credit for, no. to, you know, page and plant and et cetera. This stuff is complicated, right? I mean, I think yeah. uh, you, we could certainly look to the the lawsuit between Marvin Gaye's estate and Pharrell and Robin Thicke, yeah. which established that Pharrell and Robin Thicke had infringed on the copyright of Marvin Gaye by sounding alike right. to one of his right. tracks rather than actually straight borrowing. Now, my position on this is that that is a really dangerous direction to go on to actually copyright the style of something. Mm -hmm. I think it certainly would inhibit the development of the arts and sciences, the true purpose of why copyright exists. But there's issues of cultural and social capital that are not being named. This might be on the borderline of, of, of that borrowing. I yeah. mean, definitely it's, it's a bit much for me. What's the Led Zeppelin song called? That was your time is going to come. Yeah, yeah. And this was uh, "You're the One." I'm yeah. By I'm Greta Van Fleet. This is I'm okay. I'm. This is so interesting. All right. All right. So the onward, the, onward. The acoustic uh, side of the track builds back up, gets some more energy in a track called "The New Day," track seven. is fun the kids got pipes i can't deny it i wish i could sing that way it's awesome <laughs> but uh let's listen to led zeppelin's over the hills yeah. and far away Many come true, and still the light 
Close. Yeah, I think you Close, got some of the but... same sort of mythical lyrics. Again, yeah. sort of more derivative of the entire body of work of the band and this increased energy but you know by adding the drums and uh, over the acoustic guitar sort of vibe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right, then we need to continue moving on. And this this is the part of the album where I'm struggling a little bit, but I promised you a grand finale, and we're not <laughs> far. Um, track eight is Mountain of the Sun, mm. which I don't understand what Mountain of the Sun is. It just, I don't, I can't even, can you see that metaphor? Yeah, Charlie, just free your mind. <laughs> Mountain of the Sun. Any thoughts on this, uh, on this tune? Hmm. Nothing. Uh, no. You can't find the specific reference. I feel like once again we're in general Led Zepp land, but yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be able to point to yeah, one to one correlation. Like blues slide guitar in there, uh, which Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin was known for playing the slide guitar. Yeah. Um, I think this sounds a little bit like Celebration Day. have this really active almost like r&b style bass you have this movement of going from riff bass music into choral changes and a slide right into that pentatonic guitar solo again maybe more generally derivative yeah could we find that in a lot of almond brothers tracks as not, well not like that no I mean, this is, maybe i think we could find we could certainly <laughs> find it in other sound alikes yeah yeah no, no, no. i okay. think it's right. i think it's great there's there won't be clear answers and that's okay. that's wonderful okay so th- this one will give uh maybe we're giving a little bit more original integrity let's move on to track nine brave new world are you prepared to put on our hero hats to brave the brave new world <laughs> After our acoustic tracks, we have to take a minor turn back to that heavy riff-based rock, sort of the later era of Zeppelin. And this reminds me very strongly of the track Achilles' Last Stand from one of their later albums. Hmm. For me, I think we have to go back to the refrigerator magnet idea where really different rhythms right the sure. Achilles last stand has this driving kind of like almost horse gallop kind of feel to it but both of them are these minor guitar tracks that open solo guitar introspective and then boom the whole band comes in i'm hearing some connection there i'm i'm per- persuaded yeah okay <laughs> you have nothing else to add i'm starting to wonder you know if you were a teenager who was learning how to play music and you yeah. got really into Led Zeppelin and you like went through their entire catalog and learned how to play all these songs, got together with your brothers and friends and started a band, you would have all of these riffs and sounds exactly. in your fingers and yeah. in your throat. And even when you were perhaps consciously trying to create something original, it would be in your muscle memory. That's so exactly what I was thinking. Perhaps it's- these songs are like the shadows of certain Led Zeppelin originals in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah and in my 
teenage rockest years, I learned a lot of Led Zeppelin riffs. I knew every single song and it embedded itself in the way that I played. I love there's this line by St. Vincent when she's asked about which guitar she wanted to play. Uh, And she she built her own line of guitars, ball, which have done very well. And she said, I wanted to make a guitar that was unlike a Stratocaster, unlike a Les Paul, the, the classic guitars of, of big riff rock. Because she said that every time she picked those up, she would pl- have the finger memory of just like, I'll yeah. play those same riffs. And she wanted to sound not like the blues greats that she had studied and instead develop her own voice. And this does, you know, they're playing basically the same instruments in Greta Van Fleet. They're clearly learned every single song. And it does feel like a fever dream of all of the different sort of like a hallucination of, of Led Zeppelin references Hmm. just sort of bubbling up under the earth. Yeah. The album takes a sort of final acoustic turn in a track called Anthem. Your face is ridiculous. What are you thinking? Oh my god, I love it. I you honestly, it, yeah. it makes me so happy. He's straight up yodeling. You know, it's <laughs> it's very. I find something very effective in what appears to be the we were what we were what we were talking about in the first half. The a certain lack of self awareness. I find also has is refreshing in a way because some of it is so kind of comical and silly, but in a yeah. way that I find moving because it <laughs> it it is it evidences yeah a certain lack of a, a certain free li- liberation or something you know and and that makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> it's, it's actually honestly hard for me to listen to this music not because I don't enjoy it, but actually it's very challenging in this case for me to not hear. A song that I've known for 20 years. A track called Tangerine by Led Zeppelin. The worst harmony ever Um, (laughs) at the end. you have the introspective acoustic track with fingerprints of country music and slide guitar on it. Yeah. And if you check out Anthem one more time. And every glow in the twilight. You get that sort of slide. You get the... It feels like we're in the same world mm-hmm. that Tangerine was thinking of. Yeah. 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 I'm buying. All right. I said I was going to just totally blow your mind with my final reference. So the album doesn't close on the final song anthem, which it sounds like could be the end. And rather, it has a reprise. The reprise is something I actually really love, where mm. you take a track you've already done and you give it some new life. In this case, this is Lover, Lever, Taker, Breather. Uh. So they've extended Lover, Lever into this longer jam track. And... Well, there is a moment that for me is just ripped straight out of Whole Lot of Love. I wait with bated breath.
we're back to whole lot of love it yeah. sounds like so yeah. whole lot of love was this very strange track and that it was it was the opening of the second led zeppelin album and in the middle of it there is this sort of like stockhausen style huh. noise music for like two minutes where there's these uh theremins yeah. and weird sounds and right yeah it's usually edit like there's a radio edit that you'd hear on the classic rock station oh, but there? the original is is long right it's oh it's like, yeah it's and there's just a weird noise rock yeah, thing in the okay. middle and and i think that they are hinting towards that noise rock so imagine you took basically everything that they did is just slightly the opposite of what led zeppelin did check it out So coming out of that noise section, we get Robert Plant descending chromatically. Right? And then we get this great, simple, but powerful drum fill, and we're back into the riff. What would happen if instead you took that same vocal line, instead of going down, you went up? Ooh, bad crack. And... You extended just a little musical uh, fragment before you get the drum fill back into the riff. Well, you get Lover Lever. Yeah, I can see it. Mind is not as blown as I thought it was going to be. I'm, well, I, my mind is only not blown because it was the earlier one we played. What was it? Uh, track oh, seven. Yeah, yeah. Track six. You're the one, and yeah. your time is going to come. That was that. But that blew my mind is now scattered in pieces <laughs> over your 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 studio floor. Uh, so there's not much left to to be blown at this point. I wonder. It's it's so fascinating because when I I thought we were going to hear something even more identical because sure. you know just hearing that that chugging building guitar riff i was like that's i've heard that before yeah that's that's a led zeppelin song and then i can't go i i would have to do what you've been doing and go through <laughs> every song in their catalog to, right. to figure out right. where exactly i've heard that yeah. before yeah or maybe i haven't but it's just so feels so familiar i don't know it's it's this weird world we're in listening to this album where yeah. i'm not sure what is real and imagined and what's in my memory and what's in the ether i don't know yeah it, it's, it, it's wild it's wild stuff it's like an analog remix yeah of an entire catalog of music but i do hear these sort of inconsistencies in the recording in terms of it sounds like a a cover band where you're like you're pretty talented mm. i also hear less riff orientedness in choruses and a lot more of chordal progressions in which they just kind of like ham through a entire progression without it having a particular sort of like riff based sonic signature that's the other thing that i hear is is like particularly different yeah no this is uh i'm it's a weird world to exist in, right? I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not upset about it. Yeah. No. Uh, Nor is this the first band. Oh, no. Like Greta Van Fleet. No. Remember uh, Wolf Mother? Oh, I, yeah. I like Wolf Mother. Yeah, me too. And I feel like they. We had a. There were a lot of similar conversations when when they came sure. out. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that was like eight, five, eight years. I'm. I, I'm Wait, completely yeah. making it up. I haven't thought about them in a long time. But uh, I think we were having similar conversations. Oh, is this something to celebrate? 
as this kind of nostalgic redux or is it something to dismiss because it's just a carbon copy of zeppelin right i imagine we could probably set a timer for another <laughs> eight years from now sure we'll have another there'll be sure. another band and yeah it's um it's it's i'm i'm having trouble speaking because i'm just taking it all in it's i love this uh, this has been fun. really really edifying to do yeah, this I mean, if people yeah. are having fun with it if this is the thing that they're wanting that's just, that's just fine um i think there's probably places where there might need to be some further evaluation about where either social credit or potentially even songwriting credit may be due yeah uh, I, i'm not too worried about levying that i think there's going to be other there's other people who can worry more about that yeah um, no and and it's and it's so the fact that of all bands we're talking about led zeppelin here is so fascinating because as you said they've been at the center of so many of these conversations since their inception right and led zeppelin has had huge ramifications for how we understand and control copyright because from right. you know there were landmark decisions for instance, when Willie Dixon brought a, a suit against uh, Led Zeppelin for mm. a whole lot of love, that was settled outside of the court. That oh. never went to trial and thus yeah. didn't really create a possibility for creating more stringent rules of how we deal with these you know, blues homages. Right. And then later in the 80s, when Schoolie D samples Led Zeppelin's Kashmir, which we referenced earlier, right. uh, that their suit against Schoolie D for sampling their song becomes... Uh, a real touchstone in in discussions of what's fair use and and, right. and what's what's copyrightable and they in that decision they had to pay Led Zeppelin for it makes me think that sample, yeah. it makes me think that we're hearing also the banality of cultural appropriation in which as it moves through generations it becomes further removed from its original source right and so as much fun as it is to go back to oh the similarities between this entire oeuvre of a mm. band um, that was also an era in which predominantly white British artists were copying predominantly black American blues music in a time when criticism of that exchange and appropriation did not have uh, the sort of awareness that we have today. Yeah. And so now when we listen to Greta Van Fleet in that it is the copy of the copy, who potentially is missing out that we have left out of this conversation? I think that deserves a lot more investigation. Yeah. Well said, Charles. This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by me, Charlie Harding. And me, Nate Sloan. Our engineering, mixing, editing, all great things is done by Bill Lance. Our community manager is Sarah Terry. And our design is done by Luke Harris. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com on Radio Public, Apple Podcast app, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. There we be. And chat with us. We love getting your suggestions. There's been a lot of fun conversation about this album and this breakdown on Twitter. Follow us at Switched on Pop. We want to give a special thanks to Max McKenna on Twitter for giving us some fun ideas. Nice. If we've left you out. We didn't mean to. But also a huge special thanks to uh, Jeremy D. Larson, who uh, has joined us from Pitchfork. Yeah. Really fun review. you got to read the review. We're yeah. going to post all the links to all the articles uh, on the site and in the show notes. You can catch them there. We'll be back again with more episodes of Switch on Pop in two weeks. And until then, thanks, thanks for, listening. for listening.